Well, hey, friends, welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. I am so glad that you are here. If you haven't jumped into the Halfway There uh, Facebook group or like the Halfway There podcast uh, Facebook page, um, please do that. I'll put links in the show notes or you can just go to halfwaytherepodcast.com and um, get those right there at the top as well. I would love to connect with you there. I want to want to get to know you guys better. Uh, today, our guest, she is the host of her own podcast called The Road Home to You. And she's got an interesting story about how she got there and why she, why she does this. Uh, she is Brandy Gable. Brandy, welcome to Halfway There. Hey, thanks, Eric. It's good to be here. It's great to have you here. We connected uh, through our podcast group, Christian Podcasters Association, and um, you you have a great show just talking about um, people kind of finding them themselves, right? So t- tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, well, mostly uh, it's, it's a show I do with my husband. We co-host it together, and mostly we wanted to kind of bring our experience to the forefront Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, it's an experience that's not uncommon, um, where you find yourself as a Christian in a broken, broken and messy life. And, um, and all of a sudden your faith doesn't match up and, uh, to, to what you're, what you're living. And, um, and then how do you kind of reconcile that and how, what does it look like to be a redeemed Christian? And, yes. Um, so yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where we go. Well, I love that um, because this show is all about experience. You know, I spent mm-hmm. so many years doing theology and Bible and all that stuff, and then I started to realize, oh, the experience that I have sometimes is different than the things that I believe. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was a real kind of wake up call for me because I knew that I believed, and I, you know, I believed a hundred percent in in God and the Bible and everything that it stood for, and then all of a sudden, my life didn't match that at all. And, and trying to reconcile, how can I be a child of God who is so messed up and, and gross, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Which, which is important. And I think, I think the way you found, um, you know, I want to say redemption, but it sounds maybe a little cliche, but kind of found his love through all that is, is really a great story. So Mm -hmm. we're, We're going to discuss that. Um, Okay, so the podcast uh, is The Road Home to You. So, guys, you can go out and get that off links in the show notes at halfwaytherepodcast.com. I'll be sharing it around social media as well. Um, So tell us a little bit about what your life was like uh, growing up. Because I don't actually know. Did you grow up in a Christian family or no? Or what was that like? Well, so my mom was actually born and raised Catholic. And I was, and my dad was born and raised Mormon. Okay. And they went off to college and both decided to turn 180 degrees away from everything that they'd been raised with. And, um, and then they found each other and just started living life. So my first probably seven years or so were completely unchurched. And, um, finally my mom started taking my brother and I to church at this little, uh, it was an evangelical free church at the time. And, uh, it was consisted mostly of hippies, ex convicts. And then there were a few people in suits and dresses. It was a crazy, crazy little church, but, um, it was a good, good experience. And, uh, so I became saved when I was like seven or eight years old. And then my 
um, my brother and, and mom were kind of around that same time period. And then my dad jumped in um, to to digging into his faith a little bit. And uh, he was saved a couple of years later. So from that point on, from about 10 years on, I was raised in a Christian home. And mom and dad stayed together for, you know, their entire marriage until my dad died uh, 21 years ago. And, um, it, you know, it was, it was a good, solid environment. Um, for the most part, we were, uh, we were given really good examples of, of two people who were, um, in love with God and really trying to do their best to understand what scripture was saying to them and to really live that out with integrity. Um, you know, they were involved parents. They were, you know, I mean, we had our own dysfunction, of course, like yeah. families do, but, um, but really it was, it was pretty, um, pretty picture perfect home life for the most part. And, um, and then I went off to college and decided I just wanted to live life. And, um, and then I went off to Bible school because my parents were threatening to kick me out. So they said, you can either, you can either join youth with a mission or you can go find your own way in the world. And, uh, well, so I, so I joined youth with a mission instead. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So you went, so you decided you were going to go out kind of just do whatever you were kind of have a season of rebellion or what was that like? What was, yeah, it, it was, it was just a rebellious time. It was, you know, that yeah. whole, I I'm trying to separate and individualize from my parents and, you know, I've grown up knowing that I shouldn't do all these things, but now I want to know why I shouldn't do them. Yeah. And then you do them and you figure <laughs> out why you shouldn't do them. Oh, that's why your parents, yeah, your parents are actually pretty smart. So. <laughs> um, and, you know, fortunately that season didn't, didn't last too terribly long. Uh, it was a couple of years of rebellion and that was, and I was done. I thought. <laughs> right. We'll get to that later. Okay, we will. We're getting there. So, a little teaser for our friends listening. Um, so we're uh okay, so you had this little little rebellious period and that I think that's pretty common. But what were you feeling about God? Just nothing. You were just like, "Eh." Oh, no. I still 100% believed God. No. And I, like I didn't have any kind of um it wasn't a rejection of faith. It wasn't a question of faith. It was um it was more just a, I want to do things my way yeah, um, kind of thing. So you join YWAM, right? Yeah. All right. What was that experience like spiritually for you? Well, so it was interesting because um, because my parents had introduced me to it. Um, we were at a, a thing in the Pacific Northwest. They had this um, like three-day Christian concert called Jesus Northwest. And it was like three days of camping and Christian concerts and speakers. And, um, I mean, it was, it was incredible. And so we went to that every single year. And, um, and when I was about 19, my parents, um, found this booth called youth with a mission and got to talking to them and came back to me and mom, uh, let me know what YWAM was about and, and said, you can travel and you can do theater which I was a drama kid. So that mm -hmm. was right up my alley. Gotcha. And uh, so I went and signed up to do Youth with a Mission, thinking very much that I'm going to travel the world, I'm going to do theater, and I'm going to ignore God. Because in my mind, that somehow made sense that right. I could just ignore him when he's calling. And you can for a time. 
Um, but on the train there, um, I was taking the train from Oregon to Montana and, and God just gripped me right then. And he was like, Hey, you can run, but you can't hide kid. And, uh, well, take us into that experience. Like what was, what, how did, how did he get a hold of you? Like what happened? Well, within, within the first couple of days of being there, um, it, we, we were going through, um, this lesson called the roots and fruits of pride. Um, and the author of that book, I believe is Lauren Cunningham, who's, I, I think like one of the founders or whatever of YWAM and, um, and pretty much it laid all of us out because it really talked about how our, our pride is the thing that keeps us from experiencing and knowing God. And, and I had never considered myself a, a prideful person. And all of a sudden my pride was just exposed for the world to see. And I just came face to face with the reality of my own depravity and and really how dark and bleak my own heart was. And so within the first couple of days at being at YWAM, I was 100% laid out. And when I say laid out, I mean like sprawled out. I was on the football field, like at three o'clock in the afternoon, spread Eagle crying out to God, just like, I'm a mess. Wow. <laughs> I need a savior. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was kind of my first, taste and understanding of, of God's grace. Wow. Okay. So what was that? So you're, I mean, you're like giving yourself to the Lord. Did, did you have any other kind of experience with that? Was it like you're just praying, crying on a football field? Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the whole, the whole thing was that whole time in YWAM was just kind of one thing after another of seeing God, um, care about me as an individual, like, yeah, Jesus loves the world, you know, kind of thing, but, but God, the creator of the universe cares about me as a person and he cares about the details of my life. And so in that, that five months that I was a part of, of YWAM, um, for that time, it was just this kind of constant revelation of, um, God's individual love for me and his compassion towards me as a person and, and his desire to be involved and invested in my day-to-day life. Yeah. So I, th- I don't know how to define that anymore. No, no, that's good. So, so it started to get personal for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Okay. Well, you eventually left. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Our, our, I have to just share the story because our, um, I was part of the drama team for our group and we were in Australia over in Perth, Australia. And, um, and our drama group, we had written a kind of play thing that we wanted to take specifically into the prisons because Australia is, you know, was founded as a penal colony Yeah, and they've got their share of prisons there. And we really wanted to take this, uh, this group into a prison. And, um, and it was interesting because we weren't able to get into one until the day before we were coming home, we had finally been allowed to get into a prison and, you know, they've got to do background checks and and get clearance for everybody that's coming into the prison before they let you in. And so we arrive at the prison gate 
And the security guard is going through our little list of people and he's calling off names and my name's not on that list. And, um, and he says, I'm sorry, I can't let you in. And we're all like, but I need to be in because like, I'm, I'm kind of a big part of this. Yeah. And uh, he said, well, I'll talk to the warden, but I don't, I don't think you're going to get let in. And so he goes and talks to the warden and he comes back, you know, a few minutes later and he goes, well, I don't know who you guys are, but the warden just said, yes, let her through. Wow. So, so we go in and we're doing our drama thing and I play an abused girl and there's another guy who plays um, a, a suicidal drug addict and all this stuff. So we're in a room that's not super large and there's security guards. And of course, all the prisoners that are there are there because they're on good behavior, but you know, you can go from good behavior to the whole, like, you know, at the drop of a hat. Right. Yeah. So, and we're, you know, within like 10 feet of the prisoners. And um, so we're doing our thing and, there's a couple of scenes where I'm being abused and prisoners are jumping up to like, stop me from being abused. And they're like being held back by, by the other prisoners and stuff. And, and, um, and then afterwards we had this opportunity to talk with the inmates and we were told specifically, you can't ask what they're in for or how long they're in for, but they can volunteer that information if they want. And this guy came up to me and he said, can I talk to you for a little bit? And I said, okay. So we sat down, we're kind of just like knee to knee in these chairs. And he said, he said, do you know why I'm here? And I said, nope. And he said, I'm here because I raped and killed a girl. Oh, wow. And I was like, holy moly. Okay. And he said, and she looked a lot like you, Oh. which was kind of a gut kick, right? Yeah. So so I'm sitting there going, well, okay, so this could go a lot of different ways. And right now I just want to run. And he said, I need to ask you to, to do me a favor if you can. And he said, I can't contact the girl's family. They won't let me. And he said, and even if I could, I don't think they would forgive me, but I need to know that I'm forgiven. And he said, would you forgive me? Oh, and I was like, wow. well, you know, like, you know, at, Ultimately, what you need is you need God's forgiveness. So I can't forgive on that scale. But as a, you know, as your victim, as your surrogate victim, I can forgive you. Well, the interesting thing about that was just a few months before I had left um, for Youth with a Mission, I had been raped. And so here I am talking to a rapist and a murderer. And he's asking me for forgiveness. Meanwhile, I'm still trying to process my own rape and, and deal with that. And it was this, it was such an incredible moment of just seeing God's grace just wash over both of us so powerfully. And, um, you know, I, I dealt with a lot of kind of repercussions from the rape for years afterwards, but ultimately I was able to forgive my rapist because he, because he asked for forgiveness as, as this man was sitting across from me, he was asking for forgiveness on behalf of the, of the guy that had raped me. And it was just, it was so interesting to just have this, this experience together and to, um, I don't, it was, it was an amazing moment. And I think that reason alone was why we were allowed to go into that prison. 
Wow. So God. It was cool. Yeah, you can see a lot of providence in that story. Yeah, yeah. And and there were so many things like that throughout that whole time with YWAM that just God had me there for a reason and he was not going to let go. So. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay, so what did that do? Obviously, you were dealing with the consequences of, of the rape and all that. Like, So how did that whole season shape your view of God because that has to come into how you see him. I see Providence. I see his protection. Um, you know, it's, I don't know. Um, I don't know that I've ever thought about that so much. I don't know that I ever had any other view of God other than loving father Mm. and, and protector, even though I had, kind of been in the worst, you know, situation that I'd been in up to that point in my life. Yeah. You know, um, but, but it never, it never made me question like, does, is, is God with me? Does he protect me? Does he mm. care? Does he, you know, I always knew he was in those moments. Yeah. Um, it, but I also knew from the, from the minute that it happened, my prayer, even though like at that time I was in my rebellious stage at that time, Um, but I remember praying very specifically the night that it happened, God, don't let this be for nothing. Let me be able to Mm. use this to help somebody. And, um, so, so yeah, it's just, I kind of guess I've, I've sort of seen all of the things as sort of opportunities to, to know God more and to, and to praise him more. Yeah. Brandy, I think that's really strong. Like that's something. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I, you know, and I guess my question might've been a little presumptive, you know, imagining how, I, how you might feel, but um, yeah, I think that's, that's an amazing way to approach even such a dramatic and, and terrible moment. Yeah. And the way, the way that he, I don't know. I don't know if it'd be too much to say he, well, he orchestrated those events, right. To, to bring you to a place of forgiveness. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and I think, you know, I mean, God allows things, God allows us to make choices that sometimes have really horrible consequences. And, um, you know, and quite frankly, the life I was leading put me into circumstances that had I been making wise choices and actually being obedient to God, I never would have been in the place that that allowed me to be vulnerable. Yeah. To be in the situation and that's not to say that it's my fault that I got raped or that it's anybody's fault when they get raped sure. or abused or whatever. But the fact is I wasn't living according to anything that God wanted me to be doing. And, um, you know, and, and sometimes bad things happen and, and they're a lot more likely to happen when you put yourself in a position for them to happen. You know what I mean? Right. So, you know, I, it, it just, I had to use it as a learning experience and I had to, I had to use it as a, as a means to, um, hopefully help benefit somebody else. Yeah, so. absolutely. And it sounds like in some ways you helped that prisoner to kind of figure yeah, out, you I know, think so I think we were both really helped each other that day. It was, it was a good time. Mm, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I love when God does stuff like that. That's totally unexpected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, I, I had no idea that was going to happen. Right. Okay. You 
It's like going through the going through the prison yard and just seeing all the razor wire and everything and just feeling like, oh my goodness, like what in the world is going to be happening today? And then all of a sudden to just have like this um, this moment, this exchange between two people that are so completely opposite of one another and and to all of a sudden just kind of see that we're both just made of skin and bones and and there's heart and soul in each of us too, you know? Yeah. It, it was, it was a neat moment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. There's so much I can say about that, but I want to hear more about you. So, uh, okay. <laughs> so about whatever I'm, it's all good. No, it's great. I, uh, yeah. So you, YWAM, you have all these experiences with God, apparently that's, that's amazing. I'm guessing that these kind of deepened your understanding of faith of, of who the Lord is, um, your kind of understanding of grace in that all at the same time. Okay. So what happened next? Um, well, uh, it wasn't too long after all of that, that I, uh, married my high school sweetheart and, um, we, you know, kind of had that on and net, on again, off again, dating relationship. And in, uh, 1995, we got married and moved to Utah because uh, that's where he was going to school. And he had been born and raised a Christian as well. So, you know, we were both coming from really pretty similar backgrounds for, for all intents and purposes and uh, moved out to Utah where he was going to school. You know, just kind of kind of had a pretty romanticized idea of what marriage was going to be like. You know, I was I was expecting a white picket fence and, uh, you know, three bedrooms, two baths, you know, 2.5 kids and a dog and a cat. Yeah. And, um, pretty quickly realized that that was just not the way it was, it was lining up for us and, um, ended up having a couple of miscarriages along the way. Um, but in interspersed between miscarriages also had a son and a daughter, um, and, you know, we just, we just kind of lived life. Um, you know, we've, we've always had a, a really good, my, my husband, Matt and I have always had a really good friendship. Um, that's probably the thing that has sustained us the best outside of a, a common relationship with God. Um, but, um, you know, marriage is hard and, and, um, careers are hard and finances are hard and kids are hard and, and parents are hard and, you know, life is just hard. And so it was, we were about a year and a half into our marriage when my dad died and, um, we were out of state at the time, um, in Utah and he was back here in Oregon. And, um, and that kind of rocked my world pretty fierce because I had been very much a daddy's girl. Uh. And, uh, so to all of a sudden be without that rock in my life was, um, that was, that was hard. That was a hard, hard time. And, um, and all of a sudden I had to really look at my husband and as my new rock and, um, and because I didn't really have a lot of friends in Utah, he was, he was my husband. He was my, um, uh, soulmate. He was my intimate partner. He was my best girlfriend. He <laughs> was my entertainment. He, you know, he was, he filled 
or I wanted him to fill all of these different roles. And, and that's a lot of pressure to put on one man's shoulders. Yeah. So, so from, yeah, we just kind of struggled after that. Uh, <laughs> you know, lots, so, of, lots of years of struggle. So that kind of made your, put your expectations up here. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, so then that has consequences for kind of how you feel about each other and yeah. creates a lot of friction. Yeah. I had a lot of really grand expectations for, for Matt and didn't really realize that my, all my expectations were completely unrealistic until about eight years ago. Um, when, when things kind of came crashing down and we had, a, a kind of the ultimate marital crisis and, um, and in recovery through that, I realized that my expectations were so astronomically out of proportion with what any one person can possibly fulfill. And, and I needed to reevaluate my, my understanding of marriage. Yeah. Okay. So that time I'm guessing, it sounds like that was kind of your, uh, would you call it a dark night of the soul? Would you call it like a kind of your, it was a refining period for sure, but it was, it was kind of like you hit the wall. I, I 100% hit bottom. Yeah. 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 Okay. Tell us that story. Um, well, kind of where to begin with that one. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was, it was brought to our attention. It was brought to my attention, um, about eight and a half years ago or so, maybe close to nine, um, that, um, in the phrase that we used that the cat was out of the bag and that everybody knew that I had been having an affair and, um, and so then it was up to me to tell my husband that and, um, okay, but don't, don't skip over how that feels. Well, I, yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, it was the worst, it was the worst night of my, well, that and my dad's death. Those were the two worst nights of my life. Um, I, I don't, I don't, can you, can you help me out? Like, what do you, what does he yeah. know? Well, okay. So, and, and I don't, I remember from your podcast episode, which I'll link to in the, in the show notes, but so somebody comes to you and says this, right? This yeah. gets out of the bag and you need to tell your husband. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I can, I mean, I can imagine the feelings, right? It's sort of a gut punch, sort of like, oh crap, what am I going to do? Uh, but I'm wondering if that's what you actually felt or if it's like, you know, cause, cause leading up to there. So I, is there a connection between, uh, you know, your, your father dying, these high expectations and having an affair? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, it's weird because you hear a lot of times, like people will say that, that girls that are promiscuous or, uh, you know, kind of hitting, you know, like dating a lot of different people or having affairs or whatever, you'll hear them say, you know, oh man, they're just looking for dad. Right. Yeah. And, um, but my dad had always been there and, uh, was a very, very present father and, um, you know, appropriately affectionate and all of those things. Like we were tight and, um, and my promiscuity started 
well before he died. Um, but I don't, oh boy, I don't know. You know, I, one of the things I, I've come to realize is that I, that I just tend to be a person that needs a lot of validation and kind of a lot of affirmation, mm-hmm. um, for, for who I am and what I'm doing and all of that. And I think, you know, my dad had always been a pretty good person with, um, with giving words of encouragement and, and my husband is not, uh, that's not his strength. And so where, where I need to hear all the reasons why he loves me, um, I don't necessarily, he says, I love you all the time, but I need to know like why he loves me. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently I need all the details of it. Right. And, uh, and I wasn't getting that from him. And, um, so then all of a sudden, you know, somebody walks into your life that is able to provide a thing different from what your spouse can provide. And, um, and it kind of opened up this whole new world of emotion for me where, um, Hey, I've got this connection with this person that I don't have with my husband that I long to have with my husband, but it's just not going to happen because that's not the way he operates. And so we ended up, um, the affair was a, it was a three-year affair. It was not a, it wasn't just a, you know, an in and done kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and the night that it all came out, um, I was outside when I heard that it had all come out in the open. I was out gardening and some friends of ours came and said, Hey, it's out. Everybody knows now. And, and Matt and our kids were in the living room and I asked our friends to stick around and watch the kids for a little bit while I told Matt and, um, and I told him and, uh, and then I left cause I didn't know what to do. I just, I, like I told him and he didn't even have time to process. And I just said, I have to get out of here. I need to go. And which was a terrible, terrible thing to put on him because then he still has two kids to take care of. Yeah. And he's trying to process this news. And, uh, and I went up to my best friend's house and we sat at the river and, and I just cried and, chain smoked and probably drank and, you know, tried <laughs> yeah. to kind of dull the pain a little bit. Um, and, uh, and then had to go home and face the music for real. And, um, and the amazing thing about that was his response was not at all. Like I was imagining from Hollywood movies. Yeah. What were you expecting? What I was expecting was for him to, for me to come home and for him to, like have his bags packed, my bags packed. Somebody was going to be leaving that night. Yeah. And, uh, and I was expecting to be called a myriad of names. And, um, I was expecting, I was expecting the worst, you know, things to be thrown and names called and (laughs) all of it. And instead, um, he hugged me and he told me that he loved me. And he said, we can figure this out. And I thought this man is completely insane. Like why in the world would he want to figure this out? You know? Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't even my first dabble with infidelity. I'd had a couple other 
kind of missteps along the way. They weren't full-blown affairs or anything, but I hadn't proven myself to be a very loyal person in, you know, up to that point. And, um, and instead of rejection, he just gave me love. And, um, and I remember at one point he even said to me, uh, he said, Brandy, I'm not going to fight for you, which really kind of, to be honest, like kind of pissed me off because I'm thinking like, you know, <laughs> well, fight for me. That's what I want. I want a knight in shining armor, you know, like, right. be mad, go, go punch him in the face, like do something. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and instead he's like, I'm not going to fight for you, but I will fight with you. If you want this marriage to work and if you're in it, then I'm in it beside you 100%, but I'm not going to beg you to stay. That has to be on you. You have to decide that for yourself. And that was probably an even bigger gut punch than anything I'd ever experienced in my life. Wow. Okay. Well, there's so many things here, obviously. I I just think, uh, first of all, the church is accustomed to thinking of infidelity as like the most, like it's like the worst thing you could do. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and I, I, I mean, I get in some ways, but in other ways I'm like, what, why, why, why are we so hung up on these things? Right. Have you read the Bible? Like this is <laughs> for the place. Come on. We're people are like, this. but um, I also think what your uh, courageousness just to just talk about it, um, does is it says, Hey, there's a lot more here, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot more, it's a lot more complicated than just do the right thing. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a deal, but, the, but it's more complicated in a human heart than, than that. Yeah. And, um, I think that's important to, to say, so. Well, um, and it's, it's so much more complicated than just sex. Like an affair right. is, is never just about sex. Right. It's just not It's the same way that, that rape isn't about sex. Right. You know, there's there's a real misconception of of why people do what they do. And until you start talking to people and get to the heart of it, you know, you can I don't know, you can bandy about a lot of theories, but yeah. You're probably going to miss the mark. Yeah, definitely. I think that's true in especially Christian circles, which is what yeah. which is what bothers me. I think we need to take a much um a much broader view of what the human being is like, because while scripture is helpful, it it's not a psychology text, right? It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't actually do that. Um, so one book that I'm, I'm thinking about right now, I'm looking at it on my shelf is a book by Richard Foster called the challenge of the disciplined life. Okay. And he talks about sex, money, and power mm-hmm. as kind of, these are the things that, um, you know, that kind of tend to motivate and people are, kind of always, always working on. So mm-hmm. I'll throw a link in there to, for the, for our friends here, but uh, yeah. it's an, anyway, it's, it's tangentially related, but it came to mind. Um, okay. So yeah, I definitely think that uh, it's, there's, there's a lot more going on here. I think your husband's response is astounding and beautiful at the yeah. same time. Um, I, because not the least of which is we're like, hey, you know, you should fight. You know, I think mo- most people would have would have that same reaction as you did. Like, yeah. well, yeah, yeah, you know, you should you should fight. Like, if you you want this, I think it's wisdom in saying, hey, I'm here if you're here. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to be in this marriage, then I want to be in this marriage. But if you don't, then that's that's going to have to be up to you. 
Yeah. You know, and, and his whole point was, you know, I don't, if, if I beg you to stay and you stay, then every day it will be a question in my mind. Are you here because you feel like you have to be here or are you here because you want to be here? And he said, I don't want to ask that question every day. I want to know that you're here because you genuinely want to be in this marriage. And honestly, that was, you know, I mean, I'd had a lot of experiences with, with God and his, his um, providence and his grace throughout my life. But honestly, when he said that to me, all of a sudden, I saw Jesus in a whole, whole new way. Because that not that exactly what God says to us is, hey, I've already sacrificed everything. I've given everything. I'm here. I'm in this with you. But I'm not going to force you to take this relationship on. But I'm going to extend it to you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to receive you just as you are. And I'm going to love you through this crazy thing called life. And, and we're going to walk side by side. You know, it's God doesn't force himself on us. And, and here was Matt saying, I'm not going to force you into something that you don't want. But I'm going to extend the grace that God has extended to me. And, and we can make something new out of this. And it took a few days. I honestly, I looked at him. I said, I said, give me some time. I need to think about it. And, uh, cause I wanted to know that I was, that I wanted to stay for the right reasons that I wasn't just, um, kind of doing a knee jerk response, but that I was willing to put in the hard work because I knew that we had a lot of hard work ahead of us if we were going to make it work. So yeah, I said, yes. Yeah. I stuck around. <laughs> yeah. Which is great. Yes. Which is great. Okay. So obviously then that goes into a period of like recovery and, and kind of figuring that all out. Tell us, yeah. tell us about that and what, what that's like and yeah, all that. Well, so we had, we'd actually been a part of a church here locally. Um, and I was kind of hit or miss with going and um, actually, you know what, when the affair started, I was really solidly invested in that church. Um, I was even helping with youth group to the extent that the youth group girls and guys had separated and, and we were each going through the, um, every young woman's battle or every young man's battle. I was helping with that discussion group while I'm starting an affair. So that was weird. Right. (laughs) Um, so anyway, when the affair came out, um, you know, all of a sudden it was like, well, Hmm, I don't really want to go back to this church because both families were connected. My family and, and the guy's family were connected to this church. And, um, and there was just too, that was too much. Yeah. Um, so we started going to a, a big church, um, in the next town over. And that's just kind of known for being, a, a like the, the triage church. They're really super good at, at taking broken people and getting them plugged in to different recovery groups and um, just, just extending grace beyond grace. Um, so we got plugged into that church and I immediately started going to a Bible study and uh, got hooked up with um, the, the lady who was in charge of kind of their recovery and healing restoration type ministry. And, um, I was doing, I was going to church. 
I was at that church no less than five times a week, um, whether it was a Bible study or church service or class. I learned about codependency. Um, I had some anger issues I was able to deal with. One, um, some of the Bible studies that we were doing were um, were Beth Moore studies, and it was the very first one was uh, when godly people do ungodly things, which seemed <laughs> pretty appropriate. You're like, oh, good. Uh, yeah, it was it was crazy, and and then the life of David, and of course, you know, yeah. David had an affair, uh, and uh, it was it was just interesting to see again, God's providence in, in the way that those Bible studies and recovery classes lined up so that it was just kind of this like step-by-step process. Just one thing was building off of the other, off the other. And every day I was in the word like for hours on end. Uh, Um, and I had, I had quit school, uh, college. I'd been going to school previously, but I quit school so that I could focus on our marriage. And so all I did was study the Bible and raise my kids and, and try to heal my marriage. Yeah. Had you done that before? No. Yeah. I mean, I I mean, I'd studied the Bible, but never that, um, with that much passion and, and, um, earnest seeking. I was hungry for God's word and hungry for his truths beyond anything else. Nothing else mattered so much as what God had to say about any given thing. Right. Yeah. Which I think is a powerful period of time, right? It's really, really interesting. And uh, I think it's one of the true marks of, of conversion, right? was when you're, when you're really um, giving your life to Christ that you want to know what he thinks, whether it's for all kinds of reasons, right? You, you, we see this happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Wow. That's, so that's awesome. Okay, so you're digging into all of that, and you're growing a lot. You're mm-hmm. you're taking a step back, and just learning and raising your kids. Yeah, yeah, and and Matt and I, we would stay up. He was um, he was kind of between jobs at the time, so he was working some odd jobs, and um, like he wasn't anyway. His his employment situation was weird during this time, so he had days off um, for extended periods, and then. He, uh, so he and I were able to really kind of sit down and sometimes we'd talk until like three, four o'clock in the morning after Mm. the kids had gone to bed and just really press in on, um, what went wrong and where, and we went, we went back so far as to say, what are the earliest memories that you have of when somebody disappointed you or when you first remember realizing that the world isn't a safe place? Or, you know, whatever that, that kind of triggering moment is in your life where you first experience some kind of brokenness. And, and we shared those early childhood memories with each other. And, it, and a, an amazing thing happened during that. Because all of a sudden, I saw Matt, not, at the, not as this full-grown adult man that he is sitting before me. Mm-hmm. But I saw him suddenly as a four or five-year-old little boy and, and vulnerable and afraid and just wanting to know that he's got a friend that he can trust. And, um, and it just, it took this, 
it just took this picture of this person who's, you know, so responsible and kind of always does the right thing and just took him down to this level of vulnerability for me that all I wanted to do was treat that little child within him with such tenderness and compassion. Um, it gave me a whole new level of understanding of who Matt is and, and how valuable he is that he's not this impenetrable ruck of our family, but he's got real fears and needs and, um, and soft spots in his own heart that, that need tending to. Yeah. He's human. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. And, and that was when I started to realize that, man, I sure have expected a lot from this man. And uh. I've expected things that are, that are beyond anybody's um, ability to do because only God can fill all those places that I was expecting Matt to fulfill. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Okay. Um, so I'm sure there's a lot more to that and how that, how God changed your, your view and, and kind of helped you grow deeper and heal. But I want to hear about your podcast a little bit okay. uh, before we wrap up. So tell us how and like why you started the show and, and what you're trying to do with that. Really, it goes back to, to what I said about with the whole rape thing and, um, and feeling like, God, don't let this be for nothing. Um, when Matt and I started down our recovery road, it actually, three months after the affair came out, our marriage was better than it had ever been, even like the day we got married. Wow. Um, it, we had such an amazing, um, really pretty quick recovery. And, and mind you, it took a ton of work. It wasn't like it was just an overnight success. Um, but we even went into counseling and the counselor was like, I don't know what you guys need. You, like, you guys it, have already done all the hard stuff, you know? <laughs> wow. And, That's not um, bad. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so after that, like, we were like, you know, we've got a story to tell here because most couples that go through an affair don't, don't recover like this. And if at all, uh, you know, a lot of times it'll end in divorce right. or, or there will be a period of separation or, um, or they'll stay together, but it's just not healthy. And there hasn't been any kind of redemption that's taken place in their marriage. Mm -hmm. And we saw this incredible transformation happen within ourselves individually and within our marriage as a whole. And we thought we want to, we want to share this with other people so that they can see that, that what we're talking about with, with God and his grace and his redemptive ability is like, this is how it plays out. This is the reality of it. And um, so we started talking about uh, how do we want to do this? And a podcast just seemed to be kind of a, a good progression. Um, and so we talk about marriage. Uh, we've shared our story on our show, like you mentioned. Um, we talk about parenting. We talk about just kind of the Christian experience. You know, I mean, we're all yeah. we're all in different places, right? Um and we've all hit those kind of brick walls of, of our faith and where the rubber really kind of meets the road. Um, or we've been like Christian curious, you know, we're kind of on the fringes of Christianity going, I don't know. They look like they're kind of like nut jobs, but maybe they're <laughs> onto something, you know? Right. 
Um, so we want to just kind of <laughs> reach the people that are, that are on the fringe um, or people that are just broken and messy and trying to figure out how to, how to live out a faith that, that is, um, you know, that is surrounded by a broken and messy world. Yeah. I love that. It is my conviction that there is a season in the spiritual journey that is like this, that mm-hmm. is messy. And, um, you know, I have a whole spiel about it and I won't, I won't give go into it, but <laughs> there's a, there's a whole, there's a whole season, you know, there's times when you fit in and you're doing the the thing that the, the whole, you know, the church wants you to do, but then, um, you start to ask questions or something happens and, you know, you start to start to not fit that mold and the the things that you did before don't feed you. Mm -hmm. And um, the reality is the church knows about this. The evangelical church just thinks it's messy and doesn't want to deal with it Mm -hmm. for the most part. Um, And so, and it doesn't scale. It's not a thing you can do with, you know, 10,000 people. It has to be very individual uh, and discipled. And so that's one of the reasons that I wanted to start this show so we could talk about those things and say, these things are normal. This happens. And so I appreciate you sharing your story. I appreciate what you're doing with your podcast. I definitely, friends, I want you to go and listen to The Road Home to You. Like I said, I've got links in... um, the show notes at halfway there podcast.com, but you can also just go to the road home to you.com as well and uh, get that or just pull out your, you're listening to this in your podcast app, pull out your phone, uh, subscribe to Brandy's show and, uh, and, and give them a listen and uh, you're going to, you're going to enjoy it. I promise that it'll be worth every single moment. Brandy, anything you want to leave us with? You know, I don't think so. Um, it's it's just been fun to chat with you, and I I appreciate your um, your friendship through the time that we've kind of known each other, and and the way that you have continued to encourage um, us in the podcasting community. But you also encourage your listeners, and by being um, willing to talk about the hard and messy things. You know, I think the more we talk about the hard and messy, the less we stigmatize it, and you know, and then it just becomes like, oh, this is, a, this is a normal thing that we're all dealing with. So instead of trying to put a Band-Aid on it, let's try to find the cure. Absolutely. I, I think the cure is Jesus. <laughs> amen. Amen. So uh, this will sound like a plug. It, I guess it is sort of, but I wrote my first Bible study. It's an eight-day experience on Jesus is willing, a little ex- exchange that Jesus has with the leper. Mm-hmm. Um, and the leper says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. It's not even a question. It's just like a like a statement. Anyway, I write all about that. And I think that study, you know, if you're feeling a little messy, is probably a really great one for you. Um, you can get that at halfwaythepodcast.com slash. Uh-oh, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. Eight-day experience, I think. Halfwaythepodcast.com slash eight-day experience. And uh, yeah, that's what it is. So anyway, guys, if that's, uh, I want you to pick that up, but I mostly want you to subscribe to Brandy's show and give, give it a listen. Thanks a lot for being here, Brandy. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it so much, Eric.